Chapter Eight of the Pleasures of Ignorance. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Eva Davis. The Pleasures of Ignorance by Robert Lind. On Knowing the Difference. It was only the other day that I came upon a full grown man reading with something like rapture a little book ships and seafaring shown to children his rapture was modified however by the bitter reflection that he had already passed so great a part of his life without knowing the difference between a ship and a bark and as for sloops yawls cutters catches and brigantines they were simply the russian alphabet to him i sympathize with his regret it was a noble day in one's childhood when one had learned the names of sailing vessels and walking to the point of the harbour beyond the bathing boxes could correct the ignorance of a friend that's not a ship that's a brig to the boy from an inland town every vessel that sails is a ship he feels he is being shown a new and bewildering world when he is told that the only ship that has the right to be called a ship is a vessel with three masts at least all of them square-rigged when once he has learned his lesson he finds an unaccustomed delight in wandering along the dirtiest coal key and recognizing the barks by the fact that only two of their three masts are square-rigged and the brigs by the fact that they are square-rigged throughout a sort of two-masted ships vessels have suddenly become as real to him in their differences as the different sorts of common birds as for his feelings on the day on which he can tell for certain the upper four topsail from the upper four top-gallant-sail and either of these from the four sky-sail the cross-jack or the mizzen-royal they are those of a man who has mastered a language and discovers himself to his surprise talking it fluently the world of shipping has become articulate poetry to him instead of a monotonous abracadabra it is as though we can know nothing of a thing until we know its name can we be said to know what a pigeon is unless we know that it is a pigeon we may have seen it again and again with its bottle shoulders and shining neck sitting on the edge of its chimney-pot and noted it as a bird with a full bosom and swift wings but if we are not able to name it except vaguely as a bird we seem to be separated from it by an immense distance of ignorance learn that it is a pigeon however and immediately it rushes towards us across the distance like something seen through a telescope no doubt to the pigeon fancier this would seem but the first lisping of knowledge and he would not think much of our acquaintance with pigeons if we could not tell a carrier from a powder that is the charm of knowledge it is merely a door into another sort of ignorance there are always new differences to be discovered new names to be learned new individualities to be known new classifications to be made 
the world is so full of a number of things that no man with a grain of either poetry or the scientific spirit in him has any right to be bored though he lived for a thousand years terror or tragedy may overwhelm him but boredom never the infinity of things forbids it i once heard of a tipsy young artist who on his way home on a beautiful night had his attention called by a maudlin friend to the stars where they twinkled like a million larks he raised his eyes to the heavens then shook his head there are too many of them he complained wearily it should be remembered however that he was drunk and that he did not know astronomy there could be too many stars only if they were all turned out on the same pattern and made the same pattern on the sky fortunately the universe is the creation not of a manufacturer but of an artist there is scarcely a subject that does not contain sufficient asias of differences to keep an explorer happy for a lifetime it would be easy to do nothing but chase butterflies all one's days it is said that thirteen thousand species of butterflies have been already discovered and it is suggested that there may be nearly twice as many that have so far escaped the naturalists after so monstrous a figure we are not surprised to learn that there are sixty-eight species of butterflies in great britain and ireland we should be astonished however had we not already expended our astonishment on the larger number how many of us are there who could name even half a dozen varieties we all know the tortoiseshell and the white and the blue the little blue butterflies that flutter over the gold and red of the cornfields but the average man does not even know by name such varieties as the camberwell beauty the dingy skipper the pearl-bordered fritillary and the white-letter hair-streak as for the moth are there not as many sorts of moths as there are words in a dictionary many men give all the pleasant hours of their lives to learning how to know the difference between one of them and another one used to see these moth hunters on windless nights in the hampstead lane pursuing their quarry fantastically with nets in the light of the lamps in pursuing moths they pursue knowledge this they feel is life at its most exciting its most intense they regard a man who does not know and is not interested in the difference between one moth and another as a man not yet thoroughly awakened from his prenatal sleep and indeed one could not conceive a more appalling sort of blank idiocy than the condition of a man who could not tell one thing from another in any department of life whatever we would rather change lives with a jellyfish than with such a man this luxury of variety was not meant to be ignored we throw ourselves into it with exhilaration as a swimmer plunges into the sea there are few forms of happiness i know which are more enviable than that of those who have eyes for birds and flowers how they rejoice on learning that according to one theory there are a hundred and three different species of brambles to be found in these islands 
they would not have them fewer by a single one it is extraordinarily pleasant even for one who is mainly ignorant of the flowers and their families to come on two or three varieties of one flower in the course of a country walk as a boy he is excited by the difference between the pin-headed and the thrum-headed primrose as he grows older he scans the roadside for little peeping things that to a lazy eye seem as like each other as two peas the dove's foot geranium the round-leaved geranium and the lesser wild geranium as like each other as two peas we have said but are two peas like each other who knows whether the peas have not the same differences of feature among themselves that englishmen have half the similarities we notice are only the results of our ignorance and idleness the townsman passing a field of sheep finds it difficult to believe that the shepherd can distinguish between one and another of them with as much certainty as if they were his children and do not most of us think of foreigners as beings who are all turned out as if on a pattern like sheep the further removed the foreigners are from us in race the more they seem to us to be like each other when we speak of negroes we think of millions of people most of whom look exactly alike we feel much the same about chinamen and even turks probably to a chinaman all english children look exactly alike and it may be that all europeans seem to him to be as indistinguishable as sticks of barley sugar how many people think of jews in this way i have heard an englishman expressing his wonder that jewish parents should be able to pick out their own children in a crowd of jewish boys and girls thus our first generalizations spring from ignorance rather than from knowledge they are true so long as we know that they are not entirely true as soon as we begin to accept them as absolute truths they become lies one of the perils of a great war is that it revives the passionate faith of the common man in generalizations he begins to think that all germans are much the same or that all americans are much the same or that all conscientious objectors are much the same in each case he imagines a lay figure rather than a human being he may hate his lay figure or he may like it but if he is in search of truth he had better throw the thing out of the window and try to think about a human being instead i do not wish to deny the importance of generalizations it is not possible to think or even to act without them the generalization that is founded on a knowledge of and a delight in the variety of things is the end of all science and poetry keats said that he sought the principle of beauty in all things and poems are in a sense simply beautiful generalizations they subject the unclassified and chaotic facts of life to the order of beauty the mystic meditating on the one and the many is also in pursuit of a generalization the perfect generalization of the universe and what is science but the attempt to arrange in a series of generalizations 
the facts of what we are vain enough to call the known world to know the resemblances of things is even more important than to know the differences of things indeed if we are not interested in the former our pleasure in the latter is a mere scrapbook pleasure if we are not interested in the latter on the other hand our sense of the former is apt to degenerate into guesswork and assertion and empty phrases shakespeare is greater than all the other poets because he more than anybody else knew how very like human beings are to each other and because he more than anybody else knew how very unlike human beings are to each other he was master of the particular as well as of the universal how much poorer the world would have been if he had not been so in regard not only to human beings but to the very flowers if he had not been able to tell the difference between fennel and fumitory between the violet and the gilly flower End of chapter 8